Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, Ryan Ray alongside special guest host, Mark LaCour. Mark, I'm sorry, I didn't do you justice. It's the man, the myth, the godfather yeah, of energy podcast, Mark LaCour himself. Mark, how's it going? Awesome, man. Um, the only thing is, we're here at Napin, which is you know our favorite events. I always love this event, but what's the deal with the weather? Yesterday I had the air conditioners on, today I got the heaters on. You know, I'm so where I left, where I live, which is Granbury, came down here, it was cold. I got down here, um, Monday night, it was warm. It was warm yesterday, and so I, I thought, okay, well, it's just cold where I'm at, and then now it's back to cold again, so I don't know what's going on. Crazy Texas weather. Um, so what's going on, Ryan? How you doing? Man, doing good, doing good. We're staying busy, and we're excited about this year. You know, we talked on the show, um, you know, it's a lot of optimism. I know we're going to talk about here in a minute. Um, big news that have broke just – we're recording this on Wednesday, and so big news that broke from Pioneer, so we'll get to that. Uh, but first, Mark, a couple things I need to plug and promote. First, our sponsor for this month is R&D Pipe Company. If you missed my interview with Ron Underwood at the beginning of January, uh, be sure to go check it out. Uh, interesting stuff that he gave us. We did a first Friday Q&A, and he was there. He answered some questions for us. It was very helpful, so be sure to thank the folks at R&D Pipe Company. Also, if you haven't, Mark can tell me about this. If you could leave us a written review in iTunes. Mark, we had someone leave a, give us a one-star review, man. They gave me a one I, I've done like 200 podcasts. I've never had a one-star, and they went and found me. The cowards didn't leave their name. They just gave me a one-star, and so I'm like, you know... Yeah, come on, if you want to help promote Ryan's show, the best, easiest thing for you is to go leave an iTunes review. It takes all of three minutes. Um, and if you do leave him a one-star review, at least leave your name and say why he gave him a one-star so he can improve. Right? Exactly. If there's no. something needs to change, he'll do it. Exactly, yeah. That, that's so, it's so frustrating because it's like, you know, if there was in, – in, I think if someone was mad at me or something, you know, I've got a lot of people like that, I'm sure. But but because a couple of my shows got a one-star overnight, and I was like, oh, okay, I made someone mad somewhere. But we do appreciate that. Mark can attest. That really helps your awareness. And people don't understand, you know, if you're in the podcast business, is how important those iTunes reviews are. Yeah, let's are. talk a little bit about that because you're right. A lot of people don't understand. What, what has happened, Ryan, is the technology limitations of doing a podcast have been removed. Now it's easy. Anybody can start a podcast, which unfortunately means there's a bunch of bad ones out there. So in order for people to find your show, one of the things they look at is the number of reviews, and they use that before they listen to it. So if you want to help Ryan promote a show, leave him a review. If, he, if he's doing something you don't like, let him know. But those reviews are crucial because people have to uh, scan you know, 500 podcasts before they see when it sticks out. And the easiest way to make it stick out is a bunch of five-star reviews. Actually, Mark, if I'm doing something that they don't like, email me, ryan at globalenergyme.com. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to fix it first. And then if we don't, go leave me the one-star. But also, we're going to talk about Mark's shows in a minute. I know you'll enjoy those. And be sure to leave Mark's shows reviews after you hear those. Final plug for Instagram, Texas One Gas Live is six days a week. Just recorded last night at 9.45 at night. Hopefully today, after we get through with this recording, uh, Mark will be, if he has time, we'll sit down and do Texas One Gas Live right here at NAEP. And so um, a lot of exciting stuff going on. Let's turn to our first story, Mark. And I haven't got a chance to talk to you in a few weeks about stuff. And so we've had a lot of news break. Um, let's talk about these tax cuts. It seems that companies are, you know, the media, um, certain members of Congress, we're talking about blood on the streets. The world was going to end when these tax cuts happened. But we're seeing that. I think there's an estimate of $1.09 billion um, is what it's some, it's a number I heard that's going to improve oil and gas, that's going to go to oil and gas because of these tax cuts. Companies are responding very positively, even better than I thought they would be. What has been your takeaway from the tax cuts? So it's just common sense, right? You lowered the burden on the industry. The industry is in profitable at a lower a price, which means they can hire more people or give raises or give bonuses. And Ryan, we've seen a lot of companies literally bonus their employees, their entire workforce because of these tax cuts. So it's a good thing. It's always been a good thing. If you look in the past in U.S. history, you look at the tax cuts President Reagan did, it spurred the economy on. Um, what we don't need is unnecessary taxation on our industry right now in this low crude price environment. Right, We're easing out of it, um, but the price is never going to get back to $100 a barrel again. And so anything that we can do to lower the operating cost of these companies only helps all of us as, as a nation, not just if you're in our industry, but think about how your kids get to school today, right? How the groceries get delivered to your grocery store. All that's impacted by, by things like taxation on oil and gas. And you're right there. And a couple of things I want to touch on. First off is you mentioned how, how did we do this, how we do this. One thing I've, I've said on, on this show and others is that this, unless you're in the woods and you're holding an iPhone, 
Okay, you're, you're, that's, that would be the only thing that would be impactful on gas. But if you're in a house, in a building, anywhere, look around and everything that you see has been transported by yep. a vehicle used oil and gas. It's been built by the minerals that were excavated from the ground used oil and gas, the, the tires, the road. It's, it's 100% oil, gas, oil and gas value chain that you see around you. And so when you look at something like um, New York City suing oil and gas, it's preposterous because that city was built on the back of oil and gas. It's, so, it's just so comical. And I don't see New York City saying, hey, shut down the chain saws, shut down the bulldozers, shut down the cranes. We don't want oil and gas anymore. And so it's just laughable that um, that some folks don't appreciate the impact oil and gas has. Well, on us. It, it, go back to New York, since we don't ever talk politics too much on our show. I get a chance to really get into it here. Um, they're going through a really cold, bad cold snap right now. The, the winter is really severe in the Northeast right now. Guess what's keeping them alive? Natural, Natural gas, gas, right? And so it, it's it's ludicrous that they're suing. I actually had this conversation. I'm not going to say which super major, but one of the super majors that in that lawsuit, I've actually had this conversation with, like, we as an industry have let it get to the point where we're now being sued for climate change, right? That is ridiculous. As an industry, we have responsibility for that. For the last 50 years, when anytime somebody says something wrong in the public, we don't correct them. I'm not saying honk our horn, we don't correct them. And so people don't understand that you can't live in modern society without hydrocarbons. They, they, they're in 80 85% of everything that you use and touch and they transport everything else. And then all of the petrochemicals, literally, you know, everything from lipstick to, to medicine is all comes from hydrocarbons. So yeah, it, it, it is ludicrous. And the only good thing about it, Ryan, is no matter what side you're on politically, no matter whether you like our industry or not, you still give us money. That's right. Yeah, so you can, you know, you don't see the PETA people walking around with furs, but that's what the anti-oil and gas people do. They, they still give us money, so I'm, right. I'm good with that. You know, and something I said the other day to some, some workers that were on rigs, I said, you guys need to understand that what you're doing is saving lives because there's a helicopter right now somewhere in the world who's transporting a heart for someone who needs a heart transplant. Where did that fuel come from? Yeah. Where did that, that igloo ice chest that ice all of that i mean the heart obviously not but everything else in that process you know all of the stuff in the hospital it's for those people who are out there right now working seven days a week risking their lives working hard and as oil and gas professionals we need to let the public know that hey we we, we you know, we're a little rough around the edges but we're doing life-saving work it's, it may not be what a doctor is doing but we're allowing the doctor to do his job yeah of course 85 percent of everything in a hospital emergency room comes from hydrocarbons a doctor could not function in the modern world without hydrocarbons the other thing is ryan though is 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas. How are you going to replace that, right? right. Um, there's actually a genetic studies showing that the markers for hydrocarbons are inside every single human on this planet. So when you said the heart didn't come from gas, right, it's yeah. an organ, there's hydrocarbon markers <laughs> in that heart muscle. Right, right. Well, let's turn, um, the, the, the tax cut thing has been um, in the news a lot, and one of the companies who has talked about it, especially is Exxon, they, you, know, you talked about bonuses and stuff, but you're seeing companies going to invest their capital because of how the um, the expenditures in, um, on equipment and stuff has been, it, it been changed. ExxonMobil is going to go into the Permian, it looks like, and really increase what they're doing there. I was excited to hear this. Now, when you think ExxonMobil on this show, Mark, we always try to bring it down to the business level. Folks who are on the ground, what does it mean? When you, when you hear the news, you think ExxonMobil, but practically it's XTO because that's who does their drilling for them. But let's kind of talk about it from the 30,000-foot view. ExxonMobil is going to be uh, increasing their expenditures in the Permian. Yeah, so I'll tell you a rumor I heard, and I actually believe it's true. I, I love Exxon, the company, to death. I really don't like doing business with them because they're just big old ship. Great company, great people. I heard that when they made their acquisition of XTO, there's only one Exxon guy over there. His job is to keep a rest of Exxon out of XTO <laughs> because the way XTO makes money is different than the way Exxon, the offshore operator, makes money. Um, but yeah, it's you know, you know, Exxon's is is looking to dump billions. I think it's almost six billion dollars in acquisitions in the Permian. Think of the jobs that are created with a six billion dollar investment, right? And and jobs from literally the the building of the roads to building the infrastructure to drilling but then you have the trickle out effect where are those guys could eat where are they could sleep they could stay in hotels they could eat in restaurants that's money that's gonna work its way through the the, um, the economy and it's just a good thing and i'll tell you something exxon doesn't make mistakes so if exxon's doubled down the permian ryan the permian's there for a very long time yeah and it's interesting to see because um you know one of the things is we talk about uh, peak oil supply because we got we talk about peak oil now you got peak oil demand peak oil supply um, the, the theory of peak oil supply and you know that we're running out of oil one of the things I tell people is you take a company like Exxon they would know if we're going to run out of oil and they would be wigging out for all the reasons we talked about it how much it impacts our industry 
And the flip side is the same too. If they're doubling down in the Permian or they're doubling down in offshore, if these companies like Shell and Exxon and these big BPs of the world, when they start doubling down on certain investments, you can look at the market a lot differently than if some small independent producer does it. Because a small independent producer, you know, how they look at things are a lot more agile, more lean, more mobile. But when Exxon does something or Shell does something, you, you kind of you have to sit back and go, okay, this is saying something about what the market should be a lot longer than six or eight months. Yeah, let's let's go back to the whole peak oil supply. That's a guy named Hubbard Shell that, that made a really best guess on the information he had back in the 60s, right? And I tell people all the time, are you worried about running out of sand to make glass? Are you worried about running out of iron to make steel? No, because you don't think of it being a bucket. It's, it's limitless. Hydrocarbons are the same way. A couple of things, we were actually just talking about this other day. So first thing is people think hydrocarbons aren't being made anymore. Our ocean is still making hydrocarbons in the same way it did in the past. It's still settling on the ocean floor. It's still going to be covered by sediment. It's still going to go under geological heat and pressure, and it will come out as either natural gas or crude oil in the future. The other thing is the best operator in the world, the best, maybe, maybe can get 15% of the oil out of a shale play, right? That leaves 85% of it in there. And you and I both know that as we go through time, they'll have new stimulation techniques, new drilling techniques, they'll be able to tap in that. So we will hit peak oil demand, and we will never hit peak oil supply. Right. No, right. I agree. And, I, and well, on peak oil demand, real quick, I'm just curious. Um, I, I was going to say this a minute ago, Energy Week podcast episode uh, that came out this week. If you're curious about what's going on in the Northeast, Ellen Wald, and I'll break that down with the natural gas and stuff like that. And we also talked on this peak oil demand, but I do want to talk to you about it because one of my theories is, is right now there's such a just – Anything that you do, unless it's solar or wind, it's just terrible. Um, but I actually believe, Mark, we're going to see a shift in the uh, global scale for major metropolitan areas to nuclear. I don't know if that's going to be 10 years or 20 years, but in my lifetime, we'll see them go to nuclear, um, which will mean that the baseload capacity will be you know, nuclear power plants when they're on. They can handle it for 60 years. Um, and so I think we're going to see certain things that will penetrate the market like that, like maybe electric vehicles or solar panels here and there, that will actually decrease the current demand on global oil as we see it today in gas. And so it actually will increase the current reservoirs we have now just because we're not going to need it in all the same ways that we do. And so it will actually, even if you said it was finite, it's going to increase the life expectancy out so far that we, we can't even think about it. So I, I do think that there's going to be a shift in energy in general um, policy and how we look at it that will actually change the way that we use oil and gas. Um, curious your thoughts on that. Yes, I agree. So, you know, if you think of us as a species, we've always had a mix in our energy, right? Start out with biofuels, start out burning wood, right? And so here in Europe, every year for the last 20 years, we use less and less oil and gas for fuel and more of it to make products, right? We still burn through about 20 million barrels a day here in the U.S. It, that doesn't change, but what, what the output of that is is less and less fuels. And things about electric vehicles, we need a, a, a change in battery technology, and there's a bunch of really smart people that are close to this. Electric vehicles make a ton of sense. There's no transmission, so you get all that efficiency. An internal combustion engine, like in my Infiniti, wastes about 90% of its energy as heat, whereas if you generate electricity on a, an electrical generation plant, you can capture that heat because you don't have a limitation as far as size and weight. You have 100% of the torque of an electric vehicle at one RPM. Um, let me tell you, you go drive a Tesla, it's not an electric car. It's a nice car, it just happens to be electric. Um, so you can see that, but Ryan, that's going to change other things. So think about now, when you go fill up your truck or your car, it takes you, what, 15 minutes? So that convenience store where, where they make all their money from the stuff they sell has to be timed around your 15-minute visit. What's going to happen when you pull up your electric car and it takes 30 minutes to charge? Right. It's going to change convenience that's stores. Right. Now here, you know, we're in, in Texas, we're actually in Houston. A lot of people here own their homes. If you had an electric car, you would plug it in at night when you're sleeping. Yeah, it makes right. the most sense. What's going to happen in New York City, speaking of New York? They're not going to be able to plug it into their apartment, which means you're going to have different modes of charging that are probably would be an enhanced convenience store model. You know, so well, right. it's, it's going to change all kinds of stuff right. for the better. That's right. Um, but, but, but back to your, your peak oil demand. demand. Yeah, at some point in the future, we will hit we will hit the peak of demand and then it should start going down. Now, where that is, it's really hard to tell. You look at, um, you know, Elon Musk just had the launch of his, of his heavy um, rocket. Uh, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday, yeah. Or day before yesterday. One, two. It, it was recent. It, it, it burns something called RPC, which is basically refined kerosene. Where does that come from? Or right. the gas industry. Right. So even as we move out into space, we're going to need the compact energy-dense hydrocarbon world just to be able to get stuff off the planet. Yeah, so I am I am not a peak oil demand in 2025. It, 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 it's one of those things, it's going to happen. I'm not worried about it happening anytime soon. I think that when we look at peak oil demand, we talk about, and apologies to the listeners, me and Mark are kind of nerding out here a little bit. I know we talk about Texas, Texas, but let's talk about uh, big picture. We talk about China, we talk about India. But one of the things that gets left out is Africa. You know, Africa, when, when they kind of, and I know Africa is a continent built up a bunch of countries, but when those countries begin to cure their corruption issues, mm-hmm. and you, t- you start to see a 
thriving capitalistic society, you will see more longer life expectancy, more people, populations will grow, which will mean that they will need a lot more hydrocarbons. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm definitely not saying people demands here today, tomorrow, or anytime soon, but it's, it's just one of those realities. But we have to understand better um, how the energy grid should work. We have a model here in the U.S. The model that's going to come up from these emerging markets in Africa is going to be fundamentally different because they will go through a period where they have um, you know, micro cell technology and all this stuff, and they won't be on the grid like we are. And then as they become into a, you know, a city or a town, if you will, they're going to look at how they do their grid different. And so I, I think that we're going, as you say, we're going through this process. We're trying to figure out how does, how does energy work on scale at different levels. And we have to sit back and go, you know what? This is how we've done it, um, but how do we do it moving forward? And there's, there's a lot of smart people with a lot of good ideas for that. Yeah, so let's look at something like uh, phone coverage. That's a good example. So here in the U.S., we start out laying copper wires to everybody's house, right? That eventually turned to fiber, and then we start with wireless, right? Well, you look at countries like Africa, like you brought it, they skipped the copper to everybody's housing. They went straight to the wireless. The same thing's going to happen with their grid, and it may not be a grid. We may not know what it is, but they will start using all the information experience that us in Europe had went through, and they'll start from a much better place. Right. And I, and I, and I actually believe, from a, I'm a capitalist, I don't apologize for that, I actually believe that will bring capitalism to Africa because when you have a village that grew up on a microcell, um, and they grew and they grew, and they finally got their own power plant, however that looks, and they didn't have their government because the government owns all the, all the power companies there. They didn't need their government to give them power. You know, the government's going to come out at some point and say, hey, we want to give you guys power. I'm like, no, no, no. We, we, we figured it out without you guys. And it's going to change the way that they look at how they do their um, their politics and all, all that type and of stuff. And you know what else that leads into? They're going to have access to the Internet. So they're going to have right. access to the reality. I should say the reality. It's hard to, it's hard to believe everything you see online. <laughs> but they're going to have access to knowledge that we simply didn't have. Right? right? And they're going to start from there. So, yeah, all the emerging populations are, are, are a big influence. Now, the interesting thing, going back to the super majors, if you've seen what Exxon and Shell has done in the last five or six years, they've basically turned themselves in giant gas companies. Right. That's the bet that they're making that natural gas is a fuel of the future, which, I, which I'm, I, it is, right? So, um, but once again, all the emerging economies are going to need that cheap, reliable, abundant power to pull their populations from basically an agricultural society to a modern society. Right. And with one-fifth of the all LNG contracts currently up um, this year, I think it is, and next, um, no surprise they did that. Okay, let's turn to our final story before we get you out of here. I want to talk to you about Pioneer. News broke just yesterday. Pioneer is going all in in the Permian. Of course, our listeners are going to be excited to hear that. I know um, they, they had some Eagle for assets and some other assets that they're going to sell off, and uh, but they're going all in the Permian. It's interesting because if you remember back the second quarter of last year, um, Permian stock price dropped like $30 overnight because of really two factors. One, their oil to gas ratio was off. So they had a little bit more gas in the well uh, than they were expecting. And two, they were behind about, I think it was 30 wells uh, on their drilling schedule. They were behind, maybe it's 24, something like that. A listener can look it up for us. But it was something like that. So they were a little bit behind, and they were seeing a high, um, more gas than they were expecting in their wells. So I was kind of surprised that they're going all in on the Permian, not because it's not a good resource, just because they had seen some issues with some of their wells. I guess we should take this to mean that they've kind of, ride the ship and they're really i mean talk about doubling down they're, they're going all in yeah i think what you're seeing them do is this is their core competency they've they've a lot of upstream companies they when they're small they know what they're good at and and that's all they do it's all they can afford to do the way the way the cash flows the problem is when they start getting large and they start growing then they start thinking they need to diversify and they start experimenting which is okay but then when they're big enough where their experiments the company can still run when their experiments aren't profitable. That's when you get in this weird area. I think what what they're actually doing is figuring out we're getting away from everything that's not our core competency. We're going to go back to what we're really good at because we know we can make money there. Well, it's going to be interesting to see because, um, you know, with right now what you're seeing is with these producers, Wall Street has said, hey, we want to see we want to see return. We want to see dividend. We don't want your expansion of your drilling program. Uh, we want CEO compensation to change. And so, um, shifting their focus might be kind of a response to that. To say, you know what, as like you're saying, hey, this is what we're good at. Let's sell these assets off, um, and let's just kind of double down here. Um, hopefully, we can you know keep our drilling levels up and give a give you know give Wall Street what they're asking for. Because as you know, if you don't make, it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't make Wall Street happy, <laughs> you know, well, they're going to devalue you, your you stock. Have, when you have shares, you have shareholders, and <clears> so the shareholders aren't there for any other reason. I mean, they're, they're shareholders that do things for the good of mankind, but they're there to make a dollar. Right. And that's the whole, I mean, you and I both have businesses. Yeah. I have fun in my business. It's there to make a dollar first and foremost. Right. right? So, you, I mean, you can't blame them from, from doubling down on something they know they're good at. No, I agree. It, it's going to be interesting to watch because, um, you know, I saw a story also, um, we're going to get into it, but uh, I think it was Double Eagle, I think is the name of the company. They, they sold out for like $2.1 billion or something two years ago or last year. And they're they're coming back into the premium for a billion. And it's interesting because if you look at it, you go, they sold 
what they thought was high, right? You buy low, sell high. That's kind of the motto. But they're buying when it's somewhat high. So it's going to be curious to see some of these M&A deals. I know you all talk about that a lot on your show. Um, some of these M&A deals you see, you, you kind of sit back and you go, I'm not really sure how this one works. Some of them make a lot of sense. Some of them you're not really sure how they work. Right. But it's really fun to watch because sometimes you go, there's no way that one will work, and then it works. And then sometimes you go, there's that one has to work, and it doesn't work. It really seems that management team really is the key to a lot of the, what we're seeing here. Yeah, so your management team, your, the people that run your company are always the most important thing that's going on. And that's not always executives. That could be right. your, your accountants, your project managers, all that stuff, but they have to work together. It is interesting. It's um, years ago, Kinder Morgan, who's a pipeline company, uh, invested a lot of money into uh, generating carbon dioxide. And I'm watching them doing this. I'm going, what the heck are they doing? Are they going to get into soda, drink, whatever? Ten years later, what's a well stimulation technique? CO2 right. injection. Right. Kinder Morgan saw it ahead of time. And if you think about it, the value is not getting the oil out the ground. You have to move it to market. So why else, why would Kinder Morgan in, uh, develop CO2 so they could people could produce more where they have to move it in what? A Kinder Morgan pipeline. Right. Genius. No, but like you said, when I first saw it, they, they were ten years ahead of that. No, that's great. Well, Mark, uh, before we get you out of here, we got the folks from Drilling Info coming on next. But before we get you out of here, first, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, secondly, I want to talk about your shows. Um, you have three flagship programs that I want to talk about. First, you have Oil and Gas This Week, which is you and Jake Cor- Dick Corley, who's sitting there behind you. And then you have um, um, come on, do it. Oil and Gas Industry Leaders with Paige Wilson, who's back yeah. there. And then you have HSNE. Oil and Gas HSNE. Oh, Oil and Gas HSNE. Yeah. Okay, okay. So let's talk about those three shows. Um, you know, what makes them different, what, what kind of listener each show you know, would bring you in. And so, so our folks who aren't, aren't familiar with you, maybe they can go find you. And then also, I'm going to go make sure if I haven't leaving you a written review, I'm going to go leave you a written review in iTunes because your shows are great. They're fantastic. I always recommend them to anyone that uh, I come across. Yeah, so Oil Gas This Week is our number one show. It's a topical <coughs> news show. Jake Corley and I break down the news. Like we, you and I talked about earlier, what you see in news isn't always the truth. So we tell the backstory or we make the corrections. Or sometimes we just make fun of people that have stupid news stories out there. Um, uh, Oil and Gas HSNE is very niche. It's all about health, safety, and the environment. But this entire industry is worried about HSNE. It's a right. major component. We have some great, beautiful stories on that show. Um, you know, we, we talk to some HSNE leaders who tell the truth, and it's 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 sometimes it brings tears to my eyes. The stuff that goes on that show, and then oil and gas industry leaders. That's with Paige Wilson. She's interviewing leaders of the oil and gas industry, but she's getting their backstory. How did they get started? Where did they come from? What was their favorite book? What's their favorite tool they use? You know, what what is the biggest lessons learned? Hers is a. Uh, um, she actually records her at Capitol Grill in the evening over drinks and appetizers, so it has more of an executive ambience to it. Uh, Jake and I make fun of ourselves because, you know, we give away duffel bags. She's giving away $200 steak dinners on her show. I, I need to see if I can get on her show. That <laughs> sounds like a you good You can go enter. You can go enter. <laughs> yeah, so um, we've got three podcasts now. We have literally 11 more in various stages of the works. We should have at least three more done by 2018. So we're growing. We're having fun. We're making a difference. Um, just like you. You're growing. You're making a difference. People are listening. They're learning about the industry. It's a good thing. Yeah, and, and one final thing is uh, one of the things I tell people a lot when we talk about podcasting is um, it's really it's really funny. Most of the people I talk to now, um, I would say 75% of the people I talk to, I've met through podcasting. And yet people, when you hear it, they go, well, you're just kind of sitting there. They don't understand. The, the, let's talk about the impact on your life. The power. The power, the impacting, and just the ability to meet people and to grow your network. I met you because I was looking to start a show, and two, I think it's been two years ago now. You were maybe 30, 40 episodes into one guest this week. and So I met you through a podcast, and all the people here at NAPE I've met through a podcast. And it, it, it's, it's one of those things where you know, we're different than, than old school traditional media. Media. Um, and, we, and I know I know I try to meet up with my listeners and I always say that I know you do too and I want to talk about that because for, for me we talk about the feedback getting the feedback from the listeners is of the utmost importance because it's really weird me and you are sitting here talking and we think we're having a great conversation but if no one likes what we got to say or they're not interested in there's of no value so getting the feedback and interacting with the listeners it's 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 it's, it's one of those things that we we really do I do appreciate I'm sure you do too oh no we love it it's a we have we have very intimate relationships with all our listeners. I have complete strangers come up to me and hug me because they hear me every week and they feel like they know me. And in a lot of ways, Ryan, they do know me because mm-hmm. we talk more about than just the news on the podcast. Um, and, and we're having a very positive effect. Unfortunately, the news, the, the conventional media tends to portray our industry in a way that's not true and tends to only talk about negative stuff. We're out there telling the positive stories of our industry and people love that. But we're doing it in a way that's transparent. Um, if you've listened to any of our shows for any length of time, if I make a mistake on the show, I come back and go, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this. Right. Here's the real deal. And, and people respect that. The other thing is 
everybody's so busy that they want to consume media when in their the way they want to consume it right mm -hmm. so for for us a lot of people listen to us when they're working out or when they're making a commute and we just fit in that spot perfectly so yeah if you're um new to listening to podcast um it's a powerful medium that's going places because it's so intimate with your audience okay final thing i'll let you get out of here you have a newsletter that i think is worth its weight in gold it's free it's easy it gives people the events that are going on not just in houston but there's global events as well how can they sign up for your newsletter yeah so uh you have show notes for this? Yes. We'll put a link in the show notes. It'll be easiest way. Okay. But if you want to go to modalpoint.com, go to like the, one of the blog pages or whatever, and you'll see on the right, you can sign up for the newsletter. Literally, when I started Modal Point, I couldn't find a website with all the oil and gas events in one place, so I did it myself. I make my interns do it now, but they, they gather all the different events, put it in your inbox once a month. And we also have stuff in there that is not advertised. So we give away free passes to stuff. We give away... Um, uh, invites to invitation only events that sort of stuff so i i find it's a great resource and we had a lot of people reach out to us and thank us for doing it no and we we plug and promote events on the show and one of the resources we use to find them is your uh, your uh, newsletter yeah. and so we talked about it before on the show we'll definitely include a link to it in the show notes mark thank you for your time you're always gracious when, when i ask you for time and so i do appreciate it and uh we ho hope to have you on the text one guest podcast again soon yeah it's a pleasure being here and we're gonna go have some more fun at napier we absolutely yep well, thanks again to Mark LaCour for co-hosting the first part of Texel and Gas this week. Um, always good to sit down and talk with him. As promised, we have on something from Drilling Info. Um, again, we love having on the folks from Drilling Info, and we have on Colin Westmoreland, which is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oil Field Services at Drilling Info. And it says here to say that you are the, 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 the top-rated employee for 15 14 years is, is that what I'm supposed to read is that how it goes no I don't think that's I don't think that's accurate but yeah thanks for that thanks for, I, I owe you one yeah. just cash or check works fine with me yeah well how's it going today it's going great thanks for having me yeah well, thank, thanks for being here we're, we're excited about Nate and I love Nate for a lot of reasons and the, the one thing I love is it feels like you can get that insider intel at Nate whether it's you know watching people listening to people um, going to booths like you guys have what's the you know i saw on i think on twitter the other day that you said that hey drilling info will have the most knowledgeable people at nape or something like that um, for you guys what's the biggest benefit that you see at nape yeah i think it all starts with the people i think i think if you and, and the people that are attending the shows i mean obviously we've got a ton of clients um here and subscribers and just it's kind of the who's who of oil and gas right and i think this is something like my 24th nape i look forward to them uh, every year and uh, and and for us, it I think part of the reason that we say that through social media is if you look at some of the products that we provide, and we have people. I mean, if you come by our booth at Nape, it's a it's it's packed almost the entire show, and it's because you know not only people saying hi to folks that they know and you know people we haven't seen in a long time, but also you know just the deals that are out there. They want to come by and they want to do some due diligence on a deal. You know, in five or ten minutes, they can figure some things out that kind of arms them with more knowledge going back to going back to that deal at the table. So. It's a, it's a fun show. It really is. Right. And for the listeners' uh, point of view, we're recording this on Wednesday, so it'll come out uh, Monday after NAEP. So when we're talking about NAEP, it's going to be – it's actually in the past from when the, the listeners will hear this. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just curious. I saw that, analyzing the deals. Um, is that something that y'all have done at all the NAEPs, or is it something new to this NAEP? So if someone's listening and they're going to summer NAEP maybe, is sure. it something they could expect? Uh, absolutely. You can expect that at, at the Drilling Info booth at every NAEP. And to your point, I think it's something that's happened since the first NAEP probably. Okay. Um, However, we probably have not marketed it as well as we probably should have. Okay. And so I think we're probably just letting people know more about kind of some of the capabilities. Okay, great. So what we'll do is hopefully get you guys on again before summer and talk about maybe some of the trends that you cool. saw with some of these deals here um, since we can't talk about you know live as we're here. So yeah, good deal. Yeah, we'll be happy to do that. Great. Well, let's talk about um, Texas oil and gas, okay? Let's mm -hmm. get into it a little bit. Um, we've had you guys on first. Let's kind of recap y'all's rig count. The daily rig count, um, I want to go on the record here. I think we are the first publication show to ever use y'all's rig count on a regular basis back last year. Um, and we're seeing this. It's getting traction now. And I think there's a lot of good reasons it gets traction. We went to it out of a, a means of practicality. You know, the Baker Hughes didn't come out in time for us to produce our show. Um, but there's actually a lot of good reasons why folks might want to use your rig count. Um, so kind of recap for me, new listeners or listeners who forgot, what is special about y'all's rig count that comes out on a daily basis? Sure. Yeah, I, I think that... You know, obviously you kind of mentioned it and touched on it that it's not a weekly rig count, it's a daily rig count. And we are highly confident, we are highly confident in the daily number. And uh, part of the reason for that confidence level is the fact that we are, and we started this five years ago, we started kind of putting GPS units on all the rigs in the, in the U.S. And that's carried over to now. We use pri uh, primarily GPS technology 
to capture over 95% of the of the U.S. rig fleet, and um, you know the other 5% we get uh, in similar ways as other other providers, which is by reports or you know you know weekly updates. But of those, I mean, we know exactly when that rig moves off location. We're, we're going to know about it that day. And so because of that, it allows us to be very accurate. Um, and it also allows us to do some really cool behind-the-scene kind of analytics based off of how those things are changing. Yeah, you mentioned analytics. One of the things I said on the show before is, is for me personally, look at the rig count. I'm looking at more of a big-picture scale, monthly, quarterly, year-over-year. Yeah. Year. But let's talk about some practical reasons that folks might want on a daily basis. So if you're out there in oil field services, there's a lot of application to having that data that's refreshed on a 24-hour basis. What are some of those um, um, advantages that y'all have seen from your, your clients? Yeah, no, no question. That we went when we went out to the market and kind of asked, what are some of the things that you guys really need? And, and accurate rig, rig locations was definitely one of them. It's for the guys that are out in the field. They're they're not just visiting one rig a day. They're visiting five, ten rigs a day, right? And the, you can ask any of those guys out there. There's nothing more frustrating than spending you know four four hours in the car, right, you know, and getting out there and and the rig has, has already gone. And so I think trying to eliminate as much of that as possible is the immediate value right off the bat. Right, because, you know, it, it sounds like one of those things where you're like, well, you're, you're, you know, it makes it a little bit easier, but that's actual real dollars and cents. No that's question. gas, yeah. that's time and materials and all that kind of stuff. That, that compounds daily if you're visiting rigs. So yep. four hours a day, it sounds like a, a small thing, but if you're running a business that and you have a, a large group of people who are going out to rigs, or if you're just a small business even, you know, those four hours can make the difference between you getting to the job that you need to and not. It's a big deal. Yeah, agreed. Let's talk about the rigs on a, a different perspective is um, we've, we've talked on the show before. We expect the rig count to go up. Um, as, it, as it's gone, I think y'all's rig count had it up 43 rigs, uh, or I have my notes of the day, it was 43 or 53 rigs um, from January 1 to February 1. It was mm-hmm. kind of the increase, something like that, 40 to 50 rigs, we'll say. Um, but we, we, we expect the rig count to go up, um, but we don't expect it to go up maybe as high as it has historically, and that's because rigs are just more efficient now. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about y'all, uh, which I've seen on that type of, um, uh, on that level? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I, I think if you asked any of our uh, kind of analysts in-house and and the folks that are, are making our projections internally. Uh, we don't expect a spike like we've seen over the course of the last 12 months, uh, maybe a slight rise, but to your point, there, there are good reasons for that, right? And I think, um, you know, since this is a Texas show, uh, I would say a lot of that's been driven by the state, uh, meaning the, the plays within the state. If you look at Go back 18 months, and it was probably at the lowest uh, at 400 rigs, four or 500 rigs that, w- that were running. If you look at what it is today, um, which is you know uh, just over a thousand, almost 50% of those rigs that have been added have been in the state of Texas, and most of that driven by the Delaware and Midland Basin. So, um, w- which is really spearheading production right now. And so, I mean, um, and, and and right now we're also starting to see pickups in you know even in East Texas and down in the Eagleford. So, it's it's certainly the, the state has has kind of led from the pack um, with, re- with that regard. Right, and if natural gas climbs above that magical $4 level and stays above there, we might actually see some Barnett in, in extreme. You sure. know, Haynesville, is, there's a lot of talk about what's going on in Haynesville, so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see on some of these more dry gas plays if prices do climb up um, where exactly the rigs will go. But you are right, there is a lot of rigs. Um, and one, one thing we told our listeners is, is hey, an increase in rigs is going to happen. Um, we're going to see more production, but it's not going to be the spike we talked about. But that's not a bad thing. There's just different types of jobs that are out there. Yeah. Oil field services companies are going to look for new ways to make money because we all understand that hey this the rig count's going to go up it's not as high so historically let's say it was going to go up to you know there was 10 rigs and go up to 20 well if it's 10 go up to 15 there's five rigs that are lost but as we look at the division of labor we understand that as things get more efficient there's actually more jobs created they're just different types of jobs what have y'all you guys heard from service companies about how they're going to compensate um, in this new kind of streamlined environment yeah so there's I look at this in two different ways. I look at the, the service providers and I look at drilling contractors, and it's a little bit different, right? Um, for drilling contractors, I, I would say there's certainly, even though the rig count might not spike up, there's cert- certainly still a labor shortage. And the reason for that is, unfortunately, we lost a lot of good people in the downturn. And a lot of those folks, you know, you can ask probably a lot of the drilling contractors, really, really good guys that they left and we never got them back, meaning they you know, they flat out went to another industry and they're not coming back. And that's a shame. And it, it certainly w- was not for the lack of effort of trying. I went to the IEDC conference, I guess, probably 18 months ago. And um, it was pretty inspiring because you had the heads of HR agencies um, kind of sharing best practices about keeping good people to, with, with, their, with each other, with their competitors. It was all about trying to keep the talent in the industry. And, and at the end of the day, it was just too volatile for some folks. Um, so, so there certainly is still, I think, a, a labor shortage for drilling contractors. Those folks are still going to be looking for good people. Um, with service companies, I think it's different. It's the, uh, the whole philosophy has changed. These service companies right now, 
they're they're operating as though forty five dollar oil is a new norm. So they're they're trying to figure out all right how how are we economic in this environment and then. The jobs, yes, there's going to be jobs out there, but it's not going to be like it was three years ago, uh, even for hiring sales reps. What I'm seeing is the jobs are a lot more specialized, um, a lot more technical, and so these guys are looking for um, you know more specialized individuals, probably high-paying, pretty high-paying jobs, and, and those opportunities are certainly going to be out there. But I think that a lot of that's also driven by, um, you know, you talked about efficiency. These guys want to be more efficient. Um, they want to be more targeted. And the producers who are out there making a lot of the decisions, their decision makers are starting to change a little bit. And so they're expecting, those decision makers are expecting more of a value sell when, you, when you're selling to me, as opposed to just a relationship sell, where it was, you know, probably a couple years ago. So that whole philosophy is changing a little bit. And it's pretty interesting to, to kind of take a look at that and watch. Yeah, and, and you're seeing pressure from Wall Street saying that these producers have to, especially the, obviously the public ones, um, they have to give better return to their investors. Yeah. So how they look at their drilling programs historically compared to how they look now, especially over the last you know, 10 to 15 years when you had the Aubrey McClendons of the world who were just going out there just drilling all over the place. Uh, Wall Street's going to frown upon that now, yep. and so you're actually, and you're also seeing that some producers like Simrex and others and Continental, they're moving from credit to cash, and so that's going to change how they're doing stuff. So there's a lot of things in this marketplace that are that are kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out where we're at and what's going to happen. But also, I think one thing that I've touched on the on the show before is, we we as oil and gas professionals. You know, we need to learn to read the news a certain way. And so mm-hmm. if the news comes out that there is a, um, a frack sand pit opening in somewhere, well, okay, that may not be a job for me, but that doesn't mean there's, there's trucking jobs. And if there's trucking jobs, there's tire jobs because they got to replace the tires. And so that sometimes we kind of get caught in this very linear thought process of, um, hey, this is what it means for directly. But there's a lot of indirect jobs that, that our industry creates. And so um, we, we also had to kind of step back and go, you know what, um, maybe – there's less rigs, which means there's less jobs for me. But what would be an indirect job that would be created by these efficiencies that we're seeing in the marketplace? Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, and, and that's what I love being about being in this industry is, is it doesn't just affect us, right? It affects uh, you know tons of people. Even going down to if you look at Midland today, right? If you if you drive into Midland and you stay at any hotels out there right now, it's a lot different than it was you know 18 months ago. And, and so there there are tons, whether it's restaurants or hotels or shoot, I mean just about anything. To your point, all the way down to you know Southeast Texas and folks that are working you know down in refineries it's a it is a um it's a it's a waterfall so to speak and right. it's it's a good deal and like i said at the beginning i think you know texas certainly is is leading the pack with regards to to that so it's a good good thing for us right and, and the final thing on the on the jobs market you know last year we encouraged our listeners if there was a job available for you that fits your criteria that you're, what you're looking for and the pay wasn't what you thought it was. Go ahead and take it, yeah. because we didn't feel like that the that the that the big money was going to be back. Because, you know, we we were we we're kind of curious what's going to happen with OPEC and a lot of stuff in the market. This year, we're really optimistic about the first half of the year. Um, I think the second half of the year would be good. I'm just not sure how overly. I don't want to be overly optimistic, but we kind of have that same message. If there's a job out there, take it. Don't don't buy into these headlines that oil's going to hit 250 or 150 yeah. or you know you know the boom is back. Go ahead and take your job today. Because if you have a job and then the prices do go crazy, which I don't think they are, but if they do, you'll get a raise. Yeah. <laughs> but don't hold out for that dream job. Um, there's some really good jobs. We were just spoiled with $100 oil. Is that kind of what you guys are hearing too? Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. And it goes back to kind of what I mentioned earlier. I think I think this is kind of the new norm, right? It, it, it's, you know, $100 oil wasn't the norm. Um, everybody may have felt that way for, for a little bit. But as far as like the jobs and what we're seeing as far as the people and the way they're hiring, that philosophy, they're cautiously optimistic. When I say they, I mean the service companies that that we work with. They're cautiously optimistic. But man, you know, I asked one yesterday. You know, what would it be? What would it take for for you to open the choke and really start hiring a bunch of people? And they were like, man, we're going to have to just be a lot more profitable, and that's that's probably not going to happen. You know, that doesn't happen overnight, right? Um, at at fifty dollars, sixty dollars oil. So, um, so I, no, I think you're right. I think that's that's a common right kind of outlook um, i can't speak for all service companies but i can tell you what we did was is you know we had to lower our rates mm-hmm. and we couldn't give out raises and stuff because we were you know we we're making less money and then that was uh my, my years are getting mixed up now it's kind of removed but i guess that was 15 and then in um 16 you know we, we, we started kind of saying okay well we're making a little bit it's not that great but you know we're still in this reduced rate you know we're trying to hold on to what we have and then 17 comes back and the, the companies weren't like hey yeah we're ready to go back to the mold yeah. rates <laughs> but our employees were like hey i'm getting job offers and yeah. If you want to, if you want to add employees, it's like well, and, and so seventeen was a tough year for service companies because mm-hmm. they were working off of you know reduced rates or old rates from um, fifteen, yeah. and but the employees were starting to get job offers and there's a little bit just enough competition in the market, which kudos to the employees. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm a capitalist, so I'm I'm, I'm happy for everyone. That's right. Um, 
But the producers and the midstream companies, they weren't ready to go, hey, let's go ahead and get these rates back up. And even now, they're willing to talk about it, but they're not just overly enthusiastic. And so we all have to understand that it's, we're all trying to uh, walk the tightrope here. We don't want to go back to another boom, uh, boom and bust cycle. We want to kind of level it off and yeah. 55, 65, whatever it is, I don't care what it is, just let it be stable. Yeah, I think that's right. And you have to, you know, you have to appreciate the fact that these service companies, they, they're, you know, they had to slash their margins so much, you know, in the, in the last 18 months that it, it's not, they're, they're not raising those outside of completion costs. I mean, if you look at all the other services, um, th- those aren't hiking back up as fast as you would think, think, right? I mean, you've got some operators that are economic, but $30, well, in the Permian, well, that's, that's not the same with some of these, you know, service companies. They're, it's going to take a little while for them to get back right. kind of to that level. Well, and I always tell people like this, you know, if you're in school, I wasn't very good at school, and this is a good sign, I know. If I had a few Bs or, you know, an A on a test, and then yeah. I had an F, that, that grade point average drops down pretty low. That's right. If yeah. I had two Fs, it's really low. Um, and, you know, well, we had two Fs. <laughs> Back-to-back right. back years in the oil and gas market. So the service companies, everyone, everyone's right now just trying to get that average back up. And it's just a process. And so I think it's um, it's Agreed. something to watch. But but for people who, you know, we try to make sure that we hit the, the top to the bottom down. And, and we, we all have to look at it from everyone's perspective. And it's always hard to understand maybe someone who's on the ground working because they don't understand all the numbers. And for the person on the ground, they don't understand why the sea level. So trying to balance that view so everyone can get a good picture of what's going on. We've talked about producers a little bit. I want to talk about, not specifically on the news, but just kind of the sense from the news, and that is we saw um, ExxonMobil um, responding to the tax cuts and that they're going to go in big in the Permian. Anadarko, uh, not Anadarko, sorry, Pioneer just announced yesterday that they're selling all their assets and going only with the Permian. Um, the producers are really excited about this. Um, and my contention is right now, with what you see, OPEC is saying that the U.S. shale producers can't meet global demand. And I say that. Uh, I think it's important because I don't think they would say that if they didn't think it was true. Um, but the producers are excited about this year. Um, just if you had to make a prediction, if you had to make a prediction, just a, just a shot in the dark here, will the U.S. shell producers be able to um, keep the balance? We think the market's going to rebalance this year. Do you think that we're going to be able to do that in a, in a, in a, a, matter, that, in a matter that's good for everyone? Man, it's, it's it's a great question, and and you know, there's a, a lot of people that are a lot smarter at my company no, that would no, be better no to, to, to give you that. But I would say, look, I would say, man, I hope so. I and and I think I, I'm, you know, I've used that term cautiously optimistic. I think right. I'd probably use that term here. Um, that mm-hmm. that it's um it's pretty inspiring to see what our industry has done just over the last 18 months, and and the way that we've bounced back. I can't think of any other industry uh, that, that could have taken a, a you know punch to the nose like that and then, right. and then come back the way we have. Um, so I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I, I really do. Well, I'm not going to hold you to it, and here's why. Because if me and you knew what the market was going to be doing, <laughs> we'd be sitting around. That's right. We'd be making millions we, we of dollars. We wouldn't be here. We that's would not the, be here. That's right. So it's just for fun that's more than right. anything else. We always like to get people – because one thing I, I always talk to people about is when you look at the oil and gas market – there's so many signs. We talk about the rig count. If you go back to that, yep. if you're a day trader, you're really concerned because you've been kind of conditioned to the Baker Hughes weekly rig count. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the price reacts to that, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it was up five rig, is up five rigs over a week. So, so what does what does that mean? You know, right. I mean, does it mean anything? Maybe, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. What's it going to do? Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah. But what I've learned is, is talking to different oil and gas professionals, is we all have these indicators that we look at and we hone in, and we we we, we you know, I give certain focus to this, and you give certain focus to that. And it's kind of good for us all to hear what are we all looking at because sometimes we overlook certain factors, um, and we go, oh, well, you know, I didn't even think about. It. I should be considering that this. Um, I talked to some the other day, and they said. Um, the foreign investment in U.S. steel mills is one sign of what's going to happen in drilling production because, you know, these big companies, foreign investment in steel mills, and I was like, huh, I never even thought about that. And so I always love to, to ask that. So I know it kind of threw a curveball there for you. But yeah, no, you no guys problem. at Drilling Info have a lot of great products. Um, we talked um, a few weeks ago uh, with Jimmy Fortuna and about y'all's acquisitions. Y'all done, I think, like five acquisitions yeah. in the last two years. Yeah. You'll have a lot of products, a lot of services, but specifically, we said that you're uh, the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Oilfield Services at Drilling mm-hmm. Info. What does that mean? What do you do? What does your department do? And uh, what, what all services do you actually offer? 
to sure. the public. Yeah, th thanks for that. We, uh, you know, Drilling Info has been around, shoot, I guess it's 17 years now, and, and I would say even our founder would probably tell you that when we started, we weren't focused on oilfield service companies. We probably were more focused on producers. I mean, our four, you know, forefathers were, were all independent oil and gas guys. And I think uh, a few years ago when we started put, putting GPS units on the rigs, and then even more importantly, about 18 months ago, we kind of looked at the oilfield service market and felt like it was underserved from a technology standpoint. Didn't feel like we were holding up our end of the bargain either, and, and we even consider ourselves a service company. So we said, hey, well, you know, what should we do or what could we do to, to really help these guys out? It's a tough time. And uh, we spent, you know, I, I was put in charge of that, that division, and we went out and talked to about 200 different service companies, figured out kind of what they really needed out in the market, what were some of their concerns, what were some of their challenges, and then spent, the, uh, you know, another six months building out a, a new suite of products specifically for oilfield service companies. And, and um, a lot of it, as you can imagine, was to ha how – how can I drive sales or how can I be better at business development and marketing and sales and everything um, with a lot less people? And, and because of that, at that time and even today, people have less than they did you know, two or three years ago. And um, it's been a blast. We, we've, uh, we've had a lot of product velocity around oilfield services and we've got to introduce a brand new suite of products that has done, that's been really exciting and has really kind of blown up over the last year. Okay, so if, if a listener is curious, he goes, new suite of products that could help yeah. sales. What are some of those things specifically? You don't have to go through them all, but maybe some of your favorites personally or some of the, that got the best response. Yeah. Um, help, especially with sales, because right now, hey, if you're in sales, I told people, if you're in sales, you should be at Nape. You should be out here. This is the time of year you can start closing your deal. So let's focus on the sales and marketing type products that you guys might have for an old field service company. Yeah, I think some of the main challenges that, that we've addressed are, are particular products that will uh, kind of filter out the noise. I mean, if you look at if you look at the way people have viewed drilling info in the past, it was a data company, right? Well, if you look at our best-in-class oilfield service companies and the way they're leveraging us today, they're using the analytical platforms to to filter out, pre-filter out the noise. So if you want to focus on one particular niche or one particular deal that you can win on, and you don't want to have to filter out all the you know all the junk that that are and waste your time. We've built products that basically push those things directly to the sales reps or sales managers and say, hey, here's where you can win. And they're, so that means they're spending their time more efficiently and, and they're getting out in front of these leads. And so from a business development standpoint, that's helping them. And, and I think also the big kind of lack of, there's a big lack of awareness around market share and you know, how am I stacking up against my competition? So we've gone in and built tools that kind of allow them to look at, to benchmark and say, okay, you know, what, what is the market share for what I'm looking at? Am I, am I talking to the right people? And is anybody, is anybody gaining market share or losing market share that I need to be aware of? So we've got a number of different web-based and mobile-based applications that help with that. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of data out there, you know, being able to decipher through it sometimes. You know, it, it, it's a pain. So having a tool that can kind of go in there and, and help streamline that process. Yeah. We talk about saving time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that gets lost. Saving time, especially as a sales professional. Um, you know, which companies do I call? Who's drilling? You know, where are they drilling at? What's going on? It sounds like you guys have, have kind of developed a web application to kind of help streamline this process. To so not only have the data, you guys have the data, and then you streamline it. Because getting the data sometimes is easy. So what do you do with it? Yeah, I would say I would say the only caveat I would, I would put on that is that um, you said web platform, but also mobile platform. So I was right. actually just talking to a group. I was in their office an hour ago, and they had a real scenario where there was a guy that was walking into the office and he didn't have time to do the due diligence around this uh, around this producer and within um, you know a, a few seconds if not you know under a minute was able to determine exactly where these guys were active where they were permitting where their drilled but uncompleted wells were just from the mobile app so they walk in there with you can imagine if a service company walks in sales guy walks up and you're a producer and they already know everything there is to know about what's going on kind of in your business at least at a pretty uh, you know at a high level that's like instant credibility that they would have not had had they not um, had, had they not had a tool like this. So that's kind of what we're excited about. No, absolutely. And, and my apologies. I just you know I'm so young that when I think about stuff, I'm a 32 and so. I think I'm 32. Yeah, 32, I think. <laughs> I'm 32. And so for me, there is no There is no web and mobile. Yeah, there is it's no web and mobile. It's just, if, if it's online, you can get it on your well, phone. But no, I'm glad you pointed that out because there are some companies, sadly, in our industry who have not made that transition. Yet. But um, it's good. It's a good distinction. And so when you say mobile, let's kind of clarify that. Android and iOS? Android and iOS. And I think that the critical and important thing about when I say mobile is we, we made a big push to say whatever you're doing within the um, on, on the web application is is 100% consistent with what you're doing on mobile. So if you do something one place, it should show up on another. That is, that's what our expectation is now, right? Um, and unfortunately, whenever we kind of looked at the market and the industry, and especially this space in the industry, it was very, uh, we're the first platform on the market that even does that, which, which is surprising, um, but, but that's kind of the fact of the matter. 
Well, it's it's surprising, but also good news for you guys. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no question. <laughs> it's been fun. Okay, well, listen, um, we always love having Drilling Info on. Thanks to John. He's always great to work with to set up these interviews, so I want to give him a shout-out on the show. Um, Colin, if people want to contact your team or you, or how, what do they need to do? If they would say, hey, I've heard about this product, um, you know, wh- where's the best place for them to reach out if they want to talk sure. to a sales rep or, or whatever the case would be? I, you know, I would probably direct them, um, for oilfield services specifically, I would direct them to our main, you know, drillinginfo.com, and there is a oilfield services kind of subpage um, on there and and on there look we're we are um, we're so excited about this new suite of products that we're you know we'll let you try it out so so go in there and there's a place where you can kind of click on you'll have somebody reach out to you that day kind of get your contact information and you know give it a try and and hopefully it's a fit and if it's not you know I'm, I'm I'm one of the guys that would like to hear why it's not and see how we can get better yeah no no we um we always request feedback on the show as well you always want to know because it's, it's funny i sent someone when mark was uh, sitting here earlier you know it's really weird we're sitting here we think this conversation is going well but you know you don't know what the listeners think so you always <laughs> want to know the feedback that's because, right that's important yeah you know, on this show or what you guys are doing you want to adapt it you, you want to make the product where someone wants to buy it and use it so um i will make sure that we link up to the main site which is drillinginfo.com in the show notes and we will not have the drilling info rig count this week because well, I don't have my computer open. Unless you've got it right there, do you have it open? We can do the drilling info rig count. I don't have oh. my computer open, but, but he, oh, he's going. He's yeah. going with the mobile app. Sorry, he's, I think it was at a thousand fifty-one last time I checked, but it's going to be close to that. Let's see here. He's got the. He's going. See, he, this is. He's proven the product right here on the spot. Um, <laughs> he's going with the web and mobile app. He's got the mobile app there for us, and uh, we always do the rig count, but I, uh, I got distracted and didn't do it. So the rig count. Yeah, I think it's going to be a thousand fifty-nine. 1,059, yeah. according to the Drilling Info. DailyRigCount.com, is that the new website you right. guys got for? That's right, yeah, Daily, daily Rig Count, and that's, that's something that we, that we just released, and um, it, it's gotten picked up in a lot of media outlets, and it's, uh, well, we're excited about it. That, that's something that you know, we believe is, is, is and should be the standard um, as a daily rig count in the industry. Okay, well, cool. Well, Colin, anything else before we get out of here today that you want to plug or promote? Obviously, uh, they're going to miss you guys at NAEP. Uh, maybe some of the listeners will be here, obviously, but um, you'll be here again at Summer NAEP, I hope, and analyzing deals and any other thing between now and then um, that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I would. The only thing I would say is, um, you know, if you're in the Houston area or Dallas area, we do a lot of events almost every single week that are kind of educate open education events about what we're doing and um, things that are happening within the industry and how technology in, is affecting the industry. And those are our, um, we do that at our downtown office. And um, so you can find those things on the website as well. So just if you're interested in learning more about the company or more about what we do, uh, you know, we're always open to having the discussion. Okay, and you mentioned your founder, Alan Gilmore, a minute, a minute ago. Yep. Um, him and my friend of mine, David Blackman. Uh, David will be speaking at the Tipro event, which is in March, and Alan is the he's the chairman, the chairman, yeah. the chairman of yep. Tipro right now. I think he's got a little bit of time left before he goes out. But so, you know, David Blackman, who's a friend of the show, comes on regularly, and a friend of mine personally, he will be speaking at that event, and uh, they're bringing on um, a couple good, uh, good, good folks at that event. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's something for folks in the industry that they might be um, looking forward it's to. It's a great as well. event, no question. Yeah. Okay. Well, Colin, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, to the listeners. Be sure to check out the Instagram. Texas Oil Gas Live is six days a week. Um, be sure to check that out. We're getting a good response from that. If you ordered your cup, I talked to the cup dealer as we record this on Wednesday, and I should be able to pick them up on Tuesday. So your Arctic cup will be in the mail, hopefully by Tuesday. And until next time, keep climbing.